All right, hello everybody, and welcome to the third edition of the FPS Review Cast, where we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, our latest reviews and the news over the course of the past week that everyone has been talking about. Um, you know, don't forget to subscribe to our channel, like, ring the bell, whatever the YouTubers do, or you can find us on Spotify, coming soon to Apple iTunes as well, if you prefer the audio-only flavor of uh, of this edition. Um, today we've got a um, bit of a different crew here, so um, actually this is probably our biggest showing to date um, as far as who is here. Um, so I'm your I'm your host, uh, David Schroth. Um, I guess I'll be ringmastering this. Um, and we have, um, let's see, who's first? I guess Leroy's first. Um, say hi, Leroy. <laughs> uh, he's on mute. Awesome. Uh, oh, no, there hey he is. Guys. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> All right, even better. And um, I think you're, we're going to drag that case review out of you soon enough, um, which will be <laughs> good to go soon. We have uh, Eduardo got Eduardo uh, joining us for the first time, who um, finished his first review that he'll be talking about in a moment. I'll say hi, if you could. All right. Hello, folks. Hello. And we have, uh, well, now we have two Dan Ds. Um, so um, orig is, is original Dan um, has joined us for the last couple episodes. Uh, Go with the high, I guess. Hey. Greetings. And then we have the new Dandy. I guess, um, what is this, Dandy version 2. Um, he's joining us, ironically, in the motherboard review world, and he's got his first review under underway. So if it's Dandy, then it's motherboard. So uh, I guess say hi, new Dandy. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> so... Um, I guess, anyhow, let's get straight to it um, and uh, move on through all the different fun things we've been working on this week. Um, we're going to kick today off with um, Eduardo's review of the XFX Radeon RX 5500 XT Thick 2 Pro 4GB uh, video card. Um, now, that's, that's probably a little bit bigger than the last motherboard review that came across here um, as far as title, but shorter than other video cards, at least. Um, so, so I guess with that, um, I guess, Eduardo, we can put you on the spot and um, tell us a little bit about the card. You know, it's the first time I've used an AMD card in quite a while. I've been on the NVIDIA train like a lot of other people. But to get back on the card subject, it, it was honestly a pleasant experience. I mean, other than the name, which is uh, gobbledygook all over the place and a little bit too long, it, it overclocked well, it stayed cool, and it was competitive against the 1650 Super which I, I honestly had expectations of seeing the 1650 Super kind of go away with it. I don't really uh, pay attention to these reviews, or at least I used to not before writing them. Uh, I'm more of a high-end guy myself. So when I put these in the bed, there was kind of blind assumption, uh, no prior uh, review in my head. And yeah, I, I was kind of taken away with uh, how it did. It had a nice high overclock, and it beat the Asus editions that um, Brent uh, reviewed. Right, that makes sense. Um, you know, so you know, I guess as far as the car goes, you mentioned it's. Um, you know, would you say it is a good? You know, I guess how what resolution were you gaming at? Was this a 1080p or a 1440 card? What um, what performance level can we expect out of this guy? Oh yeah, definitely. I forgot to get to that, but 1080p all the way. I was I tried some 2560 or 1440p gaming, and and there's some titles you can get away with that on. Um, definitely older titles. But for the most part, if you're buying this now, you're going to be looking at 1080p for your sweet spot. You're not going to be going above that. All right, fantastic. And I know we've reviewed a whole bunch of XFX cards um, 
you know, over the time that we've been here and they've all historically done pretty well, I think, um, you know, as far as the overall testing and, and so on. Um, trying to think what other fun stuff is in here. Um, I guess overclocking you mentioned was pretty good. So was it the usual like 10% across the board or take a look here? Percentage wise, I actually don't know off the top of my head, but it was it was fairly competitive with other AIB cards from what I saw with what Brent tested. It, it was 1936 <laughs> average on the OC, so it looked like a four, almost 5% uh, boost on the clock speed. Mm, right that, that's pretty good and, and typically in that price range you know the limit often turns into the power limit of the overall card where it's like if you know you're limited to have a five or ten percent boost over the standard power limit and that's kind of all they give you uh so it's like it's like if i had another 20 percent power this thing could really you know launch to the moon even if they unlocked uh this card it would be a fun card to play with i will say that because the ram for example is locked you can't go past i forgot what the exact uh megahertz amount was but you can't go past it and uh, obviously it's limited on power i think it was 1150 millivolts or something like that uh spitballing here out of the top of my head numbers but if they if they let you tweak it it would be a fun little cheap card to toy with i'm not gonna lie so, so 1080p, did you find the four gigs of VRAM to be a limitation on performance? Uh, no, uh, I didn't see any game that seemed to uh, cause an issue with it. And as you see in the review, even with eight gigabyte models uh, against like a 1650 Super, they, they tend to end up the same. There's no real benefit in that eight gigabyte model, in my personal opinion. If you're at this price point, save the money. And the only thing you should be doing uh, in terms of spending more money is going to like a 5600 or a 1660 Ti, whatever, you know, the flavor is that you want. Right. Spend, the ex spend an extra $100 instead of an extra $30 or $40 and you're off to the races. Okay. Um, perfect. And, and I guess, you know, final, you know, bottom line on this, if you're on the market for something in this price point, is this a card you're going to buy? I would recommend it. I would solidly recommend it. Um, like I said, the, other than the size of it, which I said in the review, I said that the shroud is a little large for no real good reason. That that's its only big knock, you know. For that price point, it overclocks well. It performs well in the game that's supposed to play uh, at the resolutions it should be playing at, I should say. And uh, I had no glitches or driver issues that cause it to be a like a frustration or a showstopper. Right. Okay. Awesome. So. Uh... Put that in the books. Um, you know, thanks for your effort on your first one, and I think you've got your next one uh, underway. We can touch on that as we wrap up as far as uh, what you got on the bench coming up next. I've got an EVGA a 1650 Super I'm working on right now. A lot smaller, which I like to see a card in this price range and power profile, all that. So, yeah, hopefully I can get that out uh, soon. All right. Awesome. Sounds great. Um you know, I guess uh, for our uh, next review, this wasn't really a review. This was kind of a uh, this is a refresh article that I just threw together because um, I need to to properly frame that upcoming um, the upcoming review that was going to be following the day after of the Silverstone ARO one. Um, so, as our readers know, um, for doing AIO testing. Um, we, you know, when I first started, I could tell that I haven't told the story on the review cast, right? So I can tell stories. So, um, you know, I, I, we had this Intermax 360 millimeter, um, AIO cooler, you know, the Lick Tech 2, um, that we got in and we're going to review it. But this big 
badge on the box said that it can take care of heat loads of 500 plus watts of power. So I was like, okay, hold my beer. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's like, that's, we just couldn't, couldn't leave it alone. So, um, you know, I played around with different things, looking at getting like, it's like, how can I get 500 watts of power into this? And then um, Intel sends us the, the 10980 Extreme Edition for us to review um, late last year. Dan reviews it, and I'm reading his review, and holy cow, that thing overclocked, puts out, five, you know, takes up 500 watts of power. So I put two and two together, got four, and I was like, this is going to be our new uh, platform for AIOs. Um, so we got an X299 board, load the thing up, get a nice cool you know, heat, you know, case set up that's kind of like a flat wall thing. You've seen the pictures. Um, I'll link to it in the description below to tell you guys, you know, so if you want to take a look at that rig. Um, and it did a great job, um, especially for the 360 millimeter um, coolers in putting out a whole ton of heat because that stock clock, you know, that thing will still do um, about 200 watts of power um, going into the CPU um, at a slight overclock. So 3.7 gigahertz is the um, the main base, you know, the base stock clock. Um, bump it up to 4.3 gigahertz, that jumps up into the 350 range, and then you bump it up to 4.7 uh, gigahertz uh, for the all core, and we're talking 500 plus watts of power um, going into the CPU thing. And we've melted a few AIOs and really stressed them out for that. Long story short, um, I decided, okay, I'm going to see what a, you know, we're going to do some air coolers. Um, I got a Hyper 212. Let's see what happens. I throw that on the stock clocks, fire up Cinebench, and within a, within a minute, the thing is overheating and, and um, uh, it's just poof, it's gone because the, um, I guess as I say in Spaceballs, you know, the gas inside the heat pipes of the Hyper 212 went flat, um, which tends to happen when you take the, um, I guess when there's too much heat, the, the gas just vaporizes and cannot return to liquid, so it's not circulating and actually cooling. Um, you know, back there, so like, well, this is not going to work for air cooling. So there's a long story. It was fun. But so we're like, okay, we're going to build something that's a little bit more in this world. So we got a 2700X, which is 105 watt TDP, um, put it onto a 4X, X470 based platform, um, threw an old video card in there, nice power supply, and that's kind of becoming our base standard for um, for air coolers because air coolers can actually handle this level of heat. Um, now, the other thing in the article, um, you know, just kind of thinking through testing methodology is that it's very difficult to, to measure things because there's so much dyna dynamic stuff built into motherboards, into AIOs, as far as, you know, how fast are the fans of the pump running? It's like your performance that you get is completely dependent upon the fan curve that you have programmed into the motherboard. You know, so our testing takes those variables out and runs the fans, the pumps, and the AIOs so is kind of speaking to both of them, really at static temperatures, static voltages, and the static clocks without any sort of boost that's actually enabled. And so when we do that, we can uh, we can apply a consistent heat load at different levels, um, you know, running a real-world benchmark or a real-world um, processing load to actually figure out how these things actually perform and we're able to compare differing fan levels. Um, because that's those are the types of data points that I think a reader would need to be able to set a fan curve. So if you know that, okay, well, if I have, you know, this chip uh, or this AIO, uh, the CPU cooler, I can run the fans at 1,000 RPMs and get good performance. If I drop it to 600 RPMs, I get the same noise level and 
temps go up 20 degrees. So that's good things to know, or I know how high, how high I can run it and so on. It provides good data points for that. So anyhow, I guess in a nutshell, that's kind of our um, new test bed platform. You know, we have a slightly different, less challenging one <laughs> that air coolers can actually uh, run through. And I've gone for a while. I mean, I mean, guys, how do you, uh, yeah, how do you like the sound of that? Um, I guess it depends on how loud the decibel meter is. No, I think that's ex excellent mythology on air cooling test. All right. Yeah, it's it's tough because like I look around and I don't know, I don't want to knock the competition, but it's it's hard to say, well, how can I reproduce results? And we should be able to reproduce our results um, you know, from the air cooling. So just a, you know, as a quick recap, on the air cooling side, we're going to, you know, we look at the you know, idle is a whopping 58 watts of total draw. Um, we turned off PBO, um, which is giving us variable clocks, and it would also downclock the CPU when it reached a certain temperature. You know, so that's one where, if you don't watch out for it on the AMD CPU testing, especially, is that you'll cap. Um, once you hit about 67 degrees, the processor will start throttling down, even though it's not overheating. That's kind of its limit where it starts pulling back and putting less heat into it. Yeah, that's that target temperature that that people think that it because it's written on their website as max temperature. And so people have this misconception that the Ryzen's can only handle being like 68 degrees and then they'll like melt down at 69 or something or they'll start throttling and it's it's not the case. It's it's just the target temperature for all their boost algorithms. So yeah, if you take the the boost algorithm out by you know more or less turning off PBO and all of that, your results will be the same because you know if you have a, a really weak air cooler on there, then it's just gonna downclock that CPU and it's gonna make things easier. So if you do it that way, you're going to get CPU coolers, I think, showing themselves in a better light than they really should be. Right, because like when, when I had PBO on, I was like, well, okay, at full fan speed, I was going, I was getting, say, 64 degrees, and it was running just fine. Then I cut it back to 1,000 RPMs. It would go up only to 67 degrees, but my clocks would be down by 200 megahertz here or there. Um, so PPO definitely kind of threw that off, um, but that's kind of the default experience for for everything. And really, well, it's PB two algorithm, and then PBO is slightly more aggressive. But yeah, right. I mean, maybe PB two may have been may have that's been different. A, <laughs> that's the default behavior for those chips. Well, yeah. It's the default for the 2700 and the, the 3000 series. The PB2, the precision boost, is the standard. And the precision boost overdrive, you have to purposely enable that in the motherboard. Uh, it usually pops up a warning with a legal thing that you have to agree to. But the, the PBO is um, on the 2000 series Ryzen's is actually quite a bit more aggressive. And you do get something out of it. Um, PBO on a Ryzen 3000 series is a little bit different animal. And some chips it's okay and some it's not. But... That's a different kind of thing. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's a good method. Um, you know, get those CPUs to, to static reproducible clocks. And then um, you might even want to consider quote unquote overclocking and putting them kind of um, towards their, their maximum boost clock like you were overclocking mm -hmm. and see how the. I did do that. So I've got the first one is kind of the base, okay. like 3.7. And then um, I took it up to 4.1 all core. Oh, that, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're no, you're right on that. Perfect. All right, so that's like an extra seventy watts or so, and that's really when they they really started to wobble. Um, I think they didn't crash until they hit the low eighties as far as temperature goes. So at least I think we're on the right track. Yeah, I think so. So that is uh, the whole setup. You can see here it's like, oh, I am so short on video cards around here. I had a GTX 460 in there for, um, for testing, but um, it did the job, right? Um, so that's kind of like the baseline for our methodology. Um, and then, you know, I guess we'll segue that into the Silverstone AR01 uh, V3 CPU um, air cooler review that I knocked out as our first one on this platform. Um, now, I compared it with the Cooler Master Hyper 212 Evo because, well, I mean, you know, raise your hand if that's been your default cooler that you go and buy for friends and family. <laughs> I've got like 30 yeah. of them. Right. No, I, I make everybody water cool. I don't have a mess around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so two to one there. I guess, uh, new Dan, you want to break the tie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got several uh, that of the hyper 212s that i've sent out and i still use a couple of them okay so right. funny i have never used a 212 i have never installed one the really? closest i've ever gotten to seeing one was on the shelf at micro center i'm just oh, send you one for giggles and i have and i have <laughs> built so many machines for people but like i'm i make them get aios i i really do like they you know, most people that come to me, they've got enough disposable income. They're like, you know, hey, literally nobody comes to me with a budget. Say, hey, build a computer because it's going to get out of control anyway. And they, they, so they come to me and they're like, hey, so I make them get a decent AIO, kind of a minimum. So I have never, ever touched a 212 ever. Well, I was like, the rest of us just when they go on sale for 20 bucks each, we stock up. So <laughs> that's exactly what I did. I got like when I've got them. Of them. <laughs> so I'm fine. So. That I think is a good air cooler comparison because everybody has one. Uh, so what's interesting though is the Hyper 212 has, yeah. it's got four, yeah, the name is good, branding I guess is on point, there's variations, the name is growing, it's like there's an Evo and there's a Plus and there's a, and so on. But it is actually a four cooler solution. I haven't, I haven't pulled it off the bench over there, but it actually has four heat pipes that run through it. And um, as you can see, I've got, I've got the AR01 right here on hand and it has three heat pipes. Um, that run through that. So some people would think that, you know, more, I guess more is better, right? You got four heat pipes versus three. You know, when you actually look at them side by side, and if I pulled this off, you could see the heat pipes on the AR01 are actually a lot bigger and thicker than the 212 has. You know, so that could be where it's getting some of its difference in, in that it's, um, it's got more more liquid, a little bit more volume. Um, there's a little bit different approach. Other than that, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell a difference with them side by side. Right. So, so anyhow, I guess, you know, I guess enough on the heat pipes and, you know, three versus four and things like that. Um, when I strapped this thing to the test bench, compared it to the 212, um, it actually performed very comparably um, to the Hyper 212. Um, overall, it was, you know, plus or minus a degree or two Celsius, um, you know, at stock clocks at various fan speeds, it, you know, we're, we were right in there. It kind of traded blows. It was either a half degree better, half degree worse um, at stock clocks. Um, overclocking didn't go quite as well. Both, uh, both coolers worked fine at um, the overclock speed at max fan. Um, but beyond that, it was kind of game over. 
Um, so really, it's uh, you're, you're not going to be overclocking much with these guys because um, it's a little bit too hot. Um, but the one thing that it was really the redemption factor of the um, you know, of the AR01 uh, was its overall sound level. So when I fired it up compared to the other one, you know, I noticed you know, an actual difference between, I could hear the difference without the decibel meter telling me that one was louder than the other. So the ARO one um, across the board at each of the fan levels that we looked at was significantly quieter, quieter than the Hyper 212. Um, so, you know, the fact that it is tied in performance is good, but the fact that it slapped the 212 around with the trout as far as noise goes um, really helps differentiate it. Yeah, I was a little surprised at the sound level, you know, that it was significantly significantly lower than the Hyper 212s. Right, and and um, the, you know, I think the other thing with Silverstone, like even looking back at the AIOs that we've done from them, is that they typically have this, you know, similar characteristics where, you know, they may not be the best performers. Um, they might, you know, tie or do a little bit worse than some of the others. But from an overall fan perspective, you know, the, the Silverstones that we've reviewed, you know, have ended up being quieter than you know the Entermaxes and the Corsairs and so on at comparable fan speeds. Um, so that seems to be an overall theme with the Silverstone stuff that we have reviewed um, over the course of the past six months or so. Yeah, which, which a lot of people look for a quieter system. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and kind of for final points, and I was rounding this up in the forums earlier today, someone was saying, well, you know, it really should be priced a little bit less because we can get a, you know, a Hyper 2 on 12 is 35 bucks and this one's 43 <laughs> was guilty of that one. Yeah. Oh, you did that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, so yeah, you're, you're keyboard warrioring on the, on the price, but then, you know, I kind of point out that it's like, well, you know, that extra $8 is buying you significantly less noise for the same level of performance of the Hyper 212. So if you value a quieter system and the same level of performance in this budget cooler range, then, uh, you know, that's absolutely why I dished out the uh, the silver award for it is because of that intersection of the value um, against, you know, performance against the 212 being quieter, even though it's a little bit more expensive. That's something that if I, you know, if I'm buying the 212 and I can get this for eight bucks more, I'm going to pull the trigger on it. Right. And uh, I can't remember who it was made a point that actually the hyper 212s have went up in price. Right, of course. I mean, yeah, the two twelves they will go on the Black Friday sale for twenty bucks each, absolutely. And we're all—I'm sure. I know I've bought some at twenty bucks. I know Leroy has because he probably told me they were twenty bucks. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's like we just go all go buy four each and um, <laughs> and strap them on. But you know, in today's retail prices, the two twelve is um, is thirty five bucks. I think just released um, literally like a week or two ago was there is a what do they call it a V two or there's some new version of it that's actually retailing at forty bucks right now um so i may have to order one of those and see how that performs um to the original and to this guy right um but yeah i mean, I mean yeah it's we're within a couple of bucks it earned a silver award i was pretty happy with it overall i agree with the silver award for an air cooler on that one right fantastic because that's you know it's always subjective for the awards <laughs> it's an opinion based on what we see so yeah, i guess yeah they are 
Speaking of speaking of subjective things that we can't even overclock. Uh, and actually, I don't know. Dan might have overclocked it somehow. Um, we have <laughs> the first of its kind uh, um, here on the FPS Review exclusive: a Secret Lab Titan Dark Knight Edition gaming chair review. And I've been jokingly referring this as a as a throne review. So I guess Dan, tell us about your new throne. Yeah. Um... I'm I'm hard on chairs, so I've I've destroyed a Herman Miller Aeron and a uh, Ergo Human. Was it the ME7 ERG? I think is the the popular one. Um, in fairness, the I had those for like a really long time. The Herman Miller was even a, I guess it was a used one I bought. And it was manufactured in the 90s, so the fact that it lasted that long was kind of surprising. But anyway, I needed a new chair, so. Uh, you know, I went shopping for them and then, you know, secret lab has a pretty good advertising going on right now. So you see the name pop up everywhere, but they're not really in the stores. So, you know, you can't go and, and sit in one. So I said, you know what? And I'm kind of picky when it comes to chairs. Um, you know, I have a bad back, you know, from injuries sustained, you know, long ago and all that. Um, so, and when you sit in front of computers, as long as, as I do, you know, having a good chair is, is, you know, huge. And, um, so I went ahead and I ordered the, the secret lab. Um, I took a chance on it and it was mostly just kind of, you know, comments. One of the things that people had said is it's so similar to the noble chair that they're pretty sure they come out of the same factory. And I have sat in the noble chair. So I said, you know what, I'll go ahead and take a chance on it. Um, and I bought it. And so when you order these things, um, they order, they send them out in batches. So like you can tell when you click on their website at the different versions, like what, um, what wave number it's coming in. They don't really give you ship dates. Um, so, you know, mine was, you know, I can't remember what wave number it was in, but you know, that particular, like they wait for that whole wave's worth of reserves to fill up and then they ship them out. Anyway, long story short, you know, I, um, after my initial confirmation email, I heard nothing from him, but I was expecting the chair wouldn't ship out for another six weeks. I think I got it in three, four, something like that. So things showed up early at my door and, and I hadn't been expecting that, but you know, that's obviously a really nice surprise. Um, when you open the box, it smells like a brand new car, you know, with leather seats and everything. I mean, it really does. And, uh, you know, start handling the materials and it, it not only did the chair go together really nicely, but, um, you know, you could feel the quality of the materials and they started around $400. And I think somebody pointed out on our forum that they've gone up a little bit. So like, I think I quoted the base price at like 399. I think they've gone up to like 420 for this particular model, uh, or for the Titan, the, the base Titan, I should say the this one, the Dark Knight edition, you you pay a little bit more when you pick one of the ones with the game logo on it, um, and then there's a difference in price for cloth versus P leather. I don't remember what the difference is in the price, but when you get there is a real leather option. Uh, I didn't get that because now the chair is like seven eight hundred bucks if you do that, so they go up a lot. Um, I had heard kind of mixed things about the PU leather, like the 2019 versions, they, they kind of like came apart or something or, or had issues, but the 2020s are supposed to be, you know, kind of fixed. Uh, I hadn't had any issues with this one. Um, you know, I, I wanted to have the chair for about 30 days before I made an opinion on it because, you know, there's a break in period and all that stuff. Um, so it goes together easy, sat in it, 
And when I first sat in it, I was like, holy crap, this thing is super hard. Um, not the back so much, but the, the actual like seat bottom is incredibly hard. Um, I said, you know what, I'm just going to stick it out and deal with it. And I came to realize really quick that that firmness, while it's not, you know, plush, it's not comfortable in that way. You can sit in this thing literally all day. And I have since, you know, since I got it, I've had some of those 18, 20 hour days in front of the computer. And, um, you know, you can wake up or you can stand up out of the chair, you know, after sitting for six hours or whatever. And then, you know, I'll feel fine, you know, despite my back issues. So I was really super impressed with it. It's got a crazy amount of adjustability. You can lay the back almost entirely flat. Um, there's a, a recline lever um, like you'd have for adjusting a seat back in a, in a performance car or something like that. But you can actually lay the whole thing, um, you know, back even further if you wanted to. So um, it's a real nice chair. And, you know, compared to like, you know, your Herman Millers and your um, uh, the Ergo Humans and some of the other options, um, I think it's priced very well. Um, it seems like it's just as well built as any of like the, the leather Ergo Humans or anything like that, um, if not more so. If the chair feels actually more solid than the, uh, the Rainer ergo humans do. Um, but you have crazy adjustability in them. Um, you know, arms go forward, back, they rotate out all that stuff. You can actually, um, it does require a screw or, um, adjusting the bolts, but you can pull the arm, the, the mounts, the arm rested on, you can pull those way out, whatever you want. So it's a really nice chair. Um, I'm still sitting in it, uh, sitting in it right now, as a matter of fact. Um, and I've had a lot of hours on this chair, um, since writing that. And, um, you know, I don't question the purchase for a minute. I mean, it was really, really excellent. And, and I've tried a lot of chairs over the years and some of them I didn't have very long cause they were just awful. Um, you know, and I sat in tons of them at, you know, micro center and fries locally here and, and I didn't like hardly any of them. Um, so this one was kind of, you know, you'd figure it'd be good based on the fact that, you know, there's so much advertising for it and, you know, a lot of people rave about them, but, you know, I was super picky and, and really, especially after sitting in it initially and, and feeling that hard seat cushion, I wasn't sure that I'd like it, but I do. Uh, it, it's broken in a bit, so it's a little softer than it used to be. Um, but Very there's encouraging. Yeah, and there's been no wear on the, you know, one of the things that happens sometimes is you get in these chairs and, you start sitting in them and, you know, there's wear on the piston, there's, uh, you know, wear on the casters and things like that. And it, this thing feels exactly like it does, like it did when I first assembled it. I haven't had any screws back out or have to tighten anything up or anything like that. It's it's really been quite amazing. All right. That's pretty good tale for that. And, and, and I see you handed out a gold award for it, which you don't do those often. So this must have been... Um, pretty good experience for you and it's probably gonna be tough like if we want we want you to do another chair review you're probably gonna have a hard time you know giving this one up even if it is for a month yeah, well <laughs> i mean I'll, I'll certainly do it but the the thing that the only thing that concerns me about them and and this is kind of a, a really double-edged sword if if any you know manufacturer whatever approaches about a chair reviewer we contact any of them is you know my back is screwed up sometimes um, I'll know really quick whether or not that will be an excruciating 30 days or not. 
Right. And actually, speaking of which, and I, I don't know if this is uh, you know a story I want to tell or I don't know. I can tell the story. Um, but there is another chair manufacturer that actually contacted us and wanting, you know, wanted to send us a chair um, for us to review. And so we've done a little bit of back and forth. And um, I think they are not looking for a very impartial review or opinion. So I don't think it's going to work out. I think I should probably just leave it at that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that. Okay, I'm curious about that, and we'll take that discussion offline. Um, I am curious as to which one, uh, you know, because with our um, former employer, um, there were, you know, he was in good with the chair manufacturers. Um, and actually, I had sat in a lot of them, you know, because he's local to me. So I'd go over to his house and stuff. And, you know, I, so I've sat in all the Corsair ones. I've sat in the the noble chair in fact that's in in fact i was over at his house playing games and that's how i knew the noble chair was actually pretty good so um i was actually going to buy the noble chair and then i i'm reading you know a lot of people are like you know i think the chair the the secret labs are the same chair and i don't know that they are 100 percent, but the design especially when you like look at the underside of them they look so close i mean they are super close so if they're not made in the same factory, I would be really shocked. Uh, they do use different um, – doing some research on it, they do use some different seating materials. So there is that. But um, <clears throat> So kind of my experience with that chair is kind of what led me to say, okay, I'll give this one a shot. Uh, interestingly enough, too, on the ordering, um, I ordered my chair after some uh, a guy I know ordered uh, a chair for him, a friend of mine, and I got mine first. So my, my order actually shipped first. And um, on their website right now, if, if somebody listening wants to buy one of these, the only thing I'll caution you is that they do have a bit of a wait right now. Uh, they say that on their website, there's all kinds of delays about it, um, you know, everything that's going on in the world right now. But it is worth the wait. They are really good chairs. I mean, like I said, I've, I've had all the main ones. And this is easily um, – as good as those and and for a lot less i mean we were making cracks about the logitech herman miller Aeron chair it's like 15 1600 bucks so well and the fact that you've used it for over 30 days too is encouraging it isn't like you put it together sat in it and went okay let's write a review about it yeah well i had this in mind when when i started out i'm like you know okay i'm buying this chair i, I bought it with my own money um, so there, there's that, this was not something that was sent to us. And I thought, you know what, I'll, I might as well go ahead and review this thing, you know? Um, so whether or not I kept it or sold it and, and of course, you know, it turned out good enough that I kept it. So there you are. Well, I'm glad you did do a review on it. it like I said, it's encouraging to, to see these quality in this price range, you know? Yeah, it's still not cheap. I mean, there's a lot of cheaper ones like the AK Racing and the DX Racing, I think. You can get them on Amazon for like about half this. Um, I don't have enough experience with those chairs to really talk about it. but um, So it's definitely not cheap for what it is, but it's a quote-unquote gaming chair. It's a little bit higher priced, but it's not um, – there are still way more expensive options than that. So um, I think, you know, given how long this should last, it's it's pretty good for the money. And there, there's kind of, even though it's a little more expensive, there's some value in that, I think. Right. Yeah, I think I'd be curious to see how long the gas lift works. So you can report back on when that thing gives out, because that's usually the first thing that goes on the chairs that I have. 
Yeah, and and I'm kind of heavy, you know. Uh, you know. Um, I'm, yeah, I probably got twenty pounds on you. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that that was another thing. I I bought it with because they make an Omega model that is uh I think only good for like two hundred and thirty pounds, and I was like right on the line of that. So I ordered the Titan because it's kind of like the same chair but a little bit bigger. Uh, there's some other mechanical differences when you look at them. I think the gas lift is uh, stronger on this one, but. Uh, this one's rated to go up to, I think, 300. And then there's two, a was a 290, I think. Or no, yeah, it's it's 290. It's like just under 300. And then there's an XL model, which is rated for like over 350 or something like that. I don't remember its exact weight rating. So um, don't get mad at me if I get that wrong. But um, it, it's definitely rated for much higher. Um, and a friend of mine thought my chair was so cool when he came over, and and he is a very big dude. He's so he's. Uh, he ordered the XL model, though, um, as a result of, of seeing mine. Um, so, you know, for the money, I think, you know, it's a great chair. So, I might and, uh, recommend that to a friend because I got a friend who can't game more than like three hours before his back is just giving him issues. Yeah, the chair usually has a lot to do with that. And then, and on the gas thing, you know, since I'm using this chair every day, if, if I, if there is a, a problem with it, I'll do an update on it. And I probably will do an update on it anyway. You know, like let's say, you know, a year after purchase date or something like that, I may follow up and, and show people how it's holding up and, and if I've had any problems with it in that time. That would be an excellent idea. All right. Um, I think it's time to hit some news uh, before we run out of time tonight. So um, we got a few uh, news articles that are lined up that kind of carry us across what's been most popular and, and what we want to throw eggs at. So um, let's start peeling through that. I think this first one is we have heard a rumor that says that one of the cards that are allegedly shipping as a rumor um, uh, you know, have been canceled. So we have a rumor saying that a rumor actually wasn't or was a rumor, but is no longer a rumor, and that the uh, RTX 3080 and 3070, um, which are allegedly going to be shipping with double the RAM of the original iterations, is no longer going to come to pass. Uh, so does anybody have a take on this um, as far as a, you know, could this be that um, either one, this is an unreliable source, or two, could it be... Um, you know, maybe they're not scared of the RX 6000 series anymore. Could it be a shortage of GDDR6X? Or could, I, I don't know, what else? <laughs> well, I mean, you bring up a lot of uh, uh, good maybes, <laughs> possibilities. Um, I always thought that, that, and there seemed to be some credence to the fact that these cards at least um, were intended to release. Uh, I don't know. Well, at least the 3080 20-gig model. And a 3080 20-gig model, in my opinion, actually makes a lot of sense. It's not, um, you know, because one of the complaints about the existing 3080 is the lack of VRAM. You know, that 10-gig is fine today. But, you know, if, if you're somebody who wants to keep a video card for three years, um, you know, is it going to be okay then? I mean, because we've seen it before where cards that were still plenty fast, um had um you know they were plenty fast initially but down the line their lack of vram became problematic and i, I can't remember whichever one, there was the one with the lawsuit that had like three 970 uh, oh yeah the 970 that was, yeah that, that extra half gig or something but even, even today though it's like uh, i mean the difference between the 2060 and the 2060 super is huge 
you know, and that the latter can run most games at 1440, no problem. But the former, the standard 2060, is really just a 1080p card. Yeah, so I think a 3080 made some sense. And, and NVIDIA has done this before where they drop, you know, like a Titan-level card, which, you know, they pretty much already said that that's what the 3090 really is. And then, you know, they'll have, you know, like in the case of the... They did this with the... Um, the 1080 series, because if you remember, the 1080 dropped, and then the uh, the Titan XP dropped, and then later they came out with a 1080 Ti, and the 1080 Ti was, you know, pretty much the same performance as the Titan level card, albeit with less memory and and you know a little more optimized for gaming and less for consumer type stuff, not the degree that we saw with like earlier Titans that had like you know, double FPU performance and all that stuff. So um, I, I think a 3080 made some sense and that the the rumored price of around $1,000 made sense. Um, and if we're not seeing that, yeah, it could be that there that there's delays on GD. There, there's not enough GDDR6 to go around. Um, maybe they can't hit that price point where they think it makes sense or possibly that um, – they don't fear the RX 6000. <laughs> that, that's a possibility. But uh, if I had to hedge anything, I'd say it's probably not the most reliable source because um, this does all come from, I think, the same same source and, and their track record. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I don't know. If, right. if, well, it, yeah, if it is delayed, I think you know it, it could be any number of, or perhaps even a combination of reasons. Yep. So I guess that should be interesting to see what actually pans out on it. Um, you know, because I guess we're still waiting on that flood of the um, eight and ten gig models to wash over the market. Eesh. So we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see when that happens. Um, but you know, speaking of the RX six thousand, I mean, we have a weekly rumor about that. Um, we have the RX six thousand, the official uh, launch for AMD is actually coming up in um, I think on, is it October twenty eighth? If yeah. I'm not mistaken, they're going to have a webcast. Um, we'll cover it in our news section, of course, and kind of brag about all the things. But the latest is that they may be hitting a two point four gigahertz game clock um, and potentially boosting a little bit higher than that. Have sixteen gigs of RAM, use about two hundred and fifty watts of power um so um the, you know this is looking like some pretty impressive numbers and i think some of the, one of the other articles i saw today we've had so many articles about rumors and stuff that this might actually be beating a 3080 but then again every rumor that we see is either you know plus minus or you know it was a win lose or draw against a 3080 yeah you you have people that and i think a lot of people just they you know they really want to believe badly that this is like some 3080 killer or whatever and we see it every generation there's rumors where you know it's way better way worse somewhere in the middle and the truth is usually somewhere in the middle right i mean it's it's usually neither of the extreme you know edge case rumors that you see um on this one, I don't know. You know, I really don't know. Um, th they could have done a lot with RDNA 2, as I understand it. You know, it's it's pretty much from the ground up. Maybe. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of it's going to depend on supply and demand. Well, I think the demand is there. 
because, I mean, you have people that are lining up outside a micro center for a shot at a 3080 or 3090. Um, there were people, you know, I was, I was actually up at micro center for a completely different reason, you know, the day before the 3080s launched and people were like already like, well, what do I got to do to get one? And, you know, they were just going nuts about it. And, you know, micro center was pretty frank. They're like, listen, we got 11 cards. You got the same shot as everybody else. Get here early if you want one. That's pretty much it. So I think the demand is there. Um, and you see it in the forums and, you know, people all over, you know, they really want to buy these things. So I think AMD knows the demand is, is certainly there. But um, whether or not they can meet the supply. That's the big question. Yeah. And I don't know. And the thing is, if that thing is using GDDR6 RAM instead of the HBM2 RAM, then, you know, um, they might be using some of the same uh, supply. You know, like if NVIDIA was running into GDDR6 supply issues, then AMD might be as well. So if if it's kind of like we see a lot of AMDs, then we certainly know that if a 3080 doesn't show up with 20 gigs of RAM, it wasn't GDR, GDDR6 limitations, right? So I don't know. Um, I do well, think that 255 watt TDP is probably a bit optimistic, but. Well, well Dan, to interject, uh, just to make sure, it's like, I believe the, you know, so um, the, the RTX 30 series, like the 3080 and 90 are using GD, GDDR6X which is a different flavor oh, you're right. than the That's, standard GDDR6 that AMD is using. You are right, because it's the, it uh, has ECC support and all that. It, it, you're right, it is different. Uh, my bad on that. Right, so it's it's one where that memory supply could be the arrow to the knee of the 30 series. True. You also have the difference of the process, the node they're on. There's, AMD's going to use TSMC, 7 nanometer, Nvidia's using, what is it, 8 or 9, whatever that Samsung's process and, is. Yeah, Samsung's 8 nanometer process on the 30, on the 3000, the 30 series, I guess they call it. Um, so, yeah. Um, but beyond that, the 2.4 gigahertz clock, um, I would say plausible. 255 watt, maybe. That's probably like the most doubtful part of it for me is. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to hit like get, uh, clocks that high and you're going to have 16 gigs of RAM on the card, PCI Express 4.0, all those features, uh, a 255 watt TDP, I don't know. I mean, TSMC's seven nanometer process is pretty efficient. So maybe. Right. So, um, It'll be interesting, and I think by the time we have our next review cast, um, I think we'll have seen the launch of the 3070. We'll have seen the press announcement of the um, RX 6000 series, and, and at least we can actually see the specs. So we can kind of speculate on, you know, at least what I'm sure AMD is going to share a bunch of slides that are cherry-picked examples, just like every launch review, and we'll be able to tell a little bit more. Um, about what we might be able to expect. Um, but it should be an interesting week to see what um, reality comes to, uh, especially if we can get those um, cards in hand as soon as we can. So, um, you know, kind of speaking of which, um, you know, I think the, uh, I'm looking for the right quote to use to kind of introduce our next topic, like such as like receiving transmission, awaiting instructions, I have returned. So, 
basically, it sounds like Blizzard's preparing StarCraft Three, you know. And I guess um, you know they're calling they're calling it quits on StarCraft Two. They're saying that I guess they're jacked up and good to go, um, and that we're going to let us live for the swarm and uh, start working towards StarCraft Three. Um, and so I know Dan, you had you know. I guess, First, Dan, you had <laughs> you had some thoughts on um, what we might see with StarCraft Three compared to how you know the differences between one and two, and then going to two to three. You, you know, what do you think we're going to see with this? You know, I don't know to be honest, because the the problem is is that um, well, first off, going from StarCraft StarCraft One, I was a huge fan of. I played the crap out of it. I have many hours in it. StarCraft Two, I didn't because I didn't like like some of the, the, the design design decisions they had with it. I didn't like them splitting up the, the single player campaign into three chunks. I didn't like them uh, locking, you know, your, your monitor support down cause it, they didn't support widescreen or, or anything like that. And they didn't do scaling. If you like went to a 4k monitor and stuff like that, I hated decisions like that. Um, so I opted not to buy the game. I, I have played it, um, you know, friends and machines and stuff like that and they had it up at the micro center and i played it up there for a little bit one day but um as far as three goes i don't know um because and and we were talking about this beforehand the blizzard of today is not the blizzard that put out the first couple of games um you know they are controlled by activision now so i'm i'm sure that they are working on starcraft 3 and transitioning to that because um, I think StarCraft II's potential for revenue is gone, so it's time to push out a third one. But as to what we'll see, who knows? I'm sure it'll be beautiful, you know, it'll look good and all that. But I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't have any idea what to expect out of the game itself. The big thing for me is that they need to bring back in StarCraft One. One of the things I loved was that the map making, the customization, and the games you could play. It was limitless. And then StarCraft II was just so locked down. The, the, the maps people made seemed to always be the same thing. It, it really killed it for me because like, I, I played the single player and then I switched to online multiplayer. StarCraft One gave me so much of a new flavor every week to keep playing and playing and playing. StarCraft II didn't give me any of that. It, StarCraft Two when it came out, um, I, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, I vaguely remember it being... Uh, sometime around the time that uh, was it the fourth Command and Conquer came out, I think it came out after that, but kind of uh, it was super disappointing as well, and it just se- kind of seemed like the RTS as it came out around StarCraft II just kind of, you know, they took away a lot of the things that made them so good in the in the first place. Like Command and Conquer Four was utterly stupid. It it had you have a game about base building and and all this stuff that the, and they took the base building out of it. <laughs> Wait, so, so, Edward, are you saying that you didn't just go play big game hunters over and over and over again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, David, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, riveting. Because that's all I ever got to. <laughs> I actually enjoyed making uh, maps on StarCraft 1. I made a few of them when I was younger. My uh, cousins and I, we'd play hours and hours on that game. In StarCraft 2, uh, it just didn't have that for me. And There's something when they, when they split it up with in the three games with the campaign mode. That really, that really made me mad. I didn't even buy the other two. I just bought the first one and I was done with it. And that's kind of my my point is there was something about StarCraft One as a game that Star Trek StarCraft Two just didn't have. It was like missing something. 
and it just wasn't nearly as as good. So I don't know. I'm hoping that they can undo kind of the the mistakes made with two and, and do a, a better StarCraft three. But yeah, whether or not they do is anyone's guess. Right. We'll so, have to see. Yeah. So it'll be interesting, and we'll follow as um, you know the various uh, you know news announcements come out. It's probably going to be a few years before we see any credible. Um, progress because that's how long it'll take them to develop the new game concept and so on. But we'll keep an eye on this one um, to see whatever other uh, rumors pop up. Yeah. So next up um, is still in the games world. Um, everybody loves loot boxes. So um, they figured that I guess some folks figured they get some class action lawsuit lawyers together, um, create a lawsuit. And so maybe we can get like a buck 25 off our next EA games purchase um, with folks complaining about the loot box mechanics that are in um, many of EA's titles that they haven't recommended. Um, so, you know, the core of the issue is, is a loot box, considered gambling and um i guess these are the canadians that are um getting bent out of shape over this um but you know i guess unload on loot boxes guys well i've got an absurd amount of time in mass effect 3 <laughs> um not only did i play the game a lot but i you know i played its multiplayer i bought some of the merchandise which had you know game codes which actually gave you loot boxes um and then I also, um, you know, even made mods for the game, you know, texture mods and stuff like that. So um, I played the crap out of it. And the loot boxes, you know, you get them for doing things and you open them and it's RNG as to what you get. So and and the game did allow you to pay for them with like, like you could buy the Bioware points, I think it was, you know, and then spend the Bioware points on the, the gear itself. And although there's an alt, you can do it in game without spending any actual money. You know, the encouragement was is that you know you obviously can get all this stuff a lot faster if you just buy it. I think it is gambling, um, it, it, you know, because you pay money just for a shot at something. So, you know, I don't disagree with that. Now, I don't necessarily think that that is, you know, the most awful thing in the world and that, you know, it should be, you know, banned outright necessarily. But um, obviously these practices can be predatory for ch children who grab their parents' wallets and, you know, go ham on the, you know, Bioware points or, or whatever the game oh, yeah. has. Yeah, don't get me started in like buying levels in Fortnite when you already have the battle pass and plenty of time to complete the season. Yeah, see, exactly. So that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like my kids want V-Bucks and they want to go and buy all the levels so they don't have to earn them. And I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's I don't think people who are familiar with the games would argue that it, it's really not gambling because I think it most certainly is. Um, I've never had a problem with, you know, the, the transactions like, you know, the way Destiny 2 does it. You know, it's all cosmetic crap. Um, and they give you other ways in the game to get the cosmetic crap, albeit it's delayed. You have to use another currency in the game to get it. And they have like a window of time where you can like buy it. And then, you know, it's not going to be for weeks or even a couple months or whatever. And then you can buy it with the other currency. I don't have a huge problem with that. I mean, obviously I'm not a big fan of it. You know, I think all the shit should just be in the game, but yeah, at the same time, as it comes to loot boxes, I'm not surprised. And I'm pretty sure this isn't the first time EA has been sued over this. 
Right. Yeah, it looks like this one's um, the Canadians bringing it, but I get. I'm, I assume there's probably some lawsuits going on in the states, and um, unfortunately, it's with these things the lawyers usually just win. Um, then, yeah, the class yeah. action suit. What are you going to get? Two or three bucks? And yeah. even worse, they're probably going to give them to you in like EA points or something. Right, right. You know, discount off of that and go on. But, you know, anyhow, it's I mean, at least, you know, the uproar from this seems to have been seems at least to have reduced the number of like loot boxes in there, especially like with that Star Wars Battlefront thing where they had to pull them. Um, so there's been a lot of backlash about loot boxes. So I think a lot of folks are moving towards the premium cosmetic sort of thing, um, which is printing them just as much uh, money. Yeah. Battlefront, too. They 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 did a 180 on that and they pulled they they pulled all that stuff out entirely. I mean, the, you could still get the stuff, but you had to do it in a sore way. And and of course, when you played that game, as I did, you find out real quick that the game was actually structured around the loot boxes. So they had to like rebalance everything because earning the stuff in game would take you this absurd amount of time that literally no one had. Um, and then you look at games like Star Wars Squadrons and Jedi Fallen Order. They released with zero microtransactions of any kind i mean ea has been kind of afraid of it at least with the star wars brand and so anything that's come out you know with star wars on it there's been absolutely no microtransactions in it whatsoever not even cosmetics right absolutely and so speaking of microtransactions um Just a little let's, bit of money. Let's move on to, I guess, Intel is uh, $10 actually, billion dollar this, microtransaction. Yeah, I think this was the report. And then I think later on the day, we actually had the news article that I think the agreed price was in the $9 billion range where Intel is selling its Anand uh, flash memory business to Hynix, um, you know, for some cash. And, and, you know, on the surface, I mean, this article got a good bit of traction on our site. It was fairly, you know, very much a rumor sort of thing. And also when we look at it, you know, most enthusiast gamers are not buying, you know, Intel uh, flash memory at this point because they're, They've moved on to, you know, the Samsungs or, you know, the other, you know, more budget tiers, whereas you, know, you go back 10 years and Intel's kind of like, you know, the gold standard in flash memory. So people aren't buying as much, but, you know, they're selling it over to Hynix, um, getting out of that business. And it wasn't very interesting until Dan, um, I guess Dan One brought up a point. Um, and, and what was that about what Intel is doing here? Yeah, and and I'm not saying this is actually what they're doing, but it does remind me of something that AMD did um, for people who may not have known. At one time, AMD was not the success that it is today. Um, they they used to they wanted to be in the CPU business really bad, but didn't used to make any money at it. And we've joked before about how the company was able to operate at a net loss for you know like a decade plus and it was really kind of bizarre but one of the things that they did in order to generate cash to stay in the cpu business was to sell off its nand flash business um amd used to be a very good flash memory maker um they also made traditional memory modules as well if i'm not mistaken um although that was way back but they uh you know they sold that division which was very profitable they sold it just so they could have cash to pump into the CPU business and stay alive a bit longer. And Intel, I don't think, is anywhere near the kind of financial trouble that AMD is in uh, or that AMD was in at the time. Um, but we've certainly seen, you know, declines in, in you know, their product and everything else. And it look, 
I don't know. It just reminded me of the fact, you know, Intel selling off a division, you know, of NAND flash memory just so that they can, you know, get some cash infusion. Um, and as a lot of people may or may not be aware, um, they have a fab in Chandler, Arizona, that uh, got retooled for 10 nanometer. And that was like a hugely expensive uh, thing. I mean, Intel, it costs a lot to do that. And, and people generally are not aware it. It takes billions of dollars sometimes to do these fabs. So I don't think Intel is like struggling to the same degree, but, you know, I'm thinking they're, you know, they're spending some cash here and they're looking to kind of trim the less than, um, you know, kind of the businesses that aren't, that aren't doing, you know, super well, the business units trimming the fat back. And we may see a little bit more of this, you know, again, that's speculative, but they may trim some other things that don't do, you know, hugely well. And as you pointed out, you know, they used to actually be big in the SSD market. In fact, um, when SATA based SSDs used to be all the rage before we had NVMe, Intel's were the ones that we bought because Intel was like the first company to, to produce reliable, decent sized SATA based SSDs. And, you know, they had continued to do that for quite some time and, and they were kind of the performance leader in it too for quite a while. And then, you know, in the last few years, Samsung has just completely pretty much kicked them out of the business. Um, right. It's like you can buy a QLC based, um, you know, NVMe stick now that doesn't perform as well and costs more than, you know, comparable performing things. Yeah, I think the last good drive we saw from them was the uh, SSD 750 series, which came in AIC and uh, U.2 formats. And those were fantastic drives. I've still even got a couple of them now. Um, but the Samsungs came out and they were um, they were faster and everything else. And Intel's last effort, to be clear, was kind of lazy because all they did was they, ad they uh, adapted like commercial drives for consumer use. Um, they still performed great at the time they came out. They were the fastest drives on the market, but it was like so short-lived. It was the tiniest window of, of dominance like we've ever seen. I mean, Samsung came out, I don't know, a couple months later or something like that, and then boom, you know, um, they were king, and, and it's all been kind of Samsung on the high end, and then on the budget end, you got like these inland drives with the Fizen controllers and and uh, those are kind of the popular budget choice, as well as some of the like Samsung Evo line. But mm -hmm. you know, Samsung just kind of dominates that market right now, for at least in terms of enthusiast machines. Right, and I think the other thing that was interesting is when I was at CES earlier this year, Hynix had a huge booth that was set up, and one of those things off in the corner was they had some SSDs um, that they were putting out and that were brand new, and I'm starting to see them show up on Amazon as well. So they're starting to get into the business some, um, even before the Intel purchase, but I think this will just kind of accelerate their preference uh, or, or presence um, you know, within the market. Yeah, Intel, and it's not something that we tend to get into because it's kind of not really, um, you know, the focus of the site. But, you know, they do have a um, – Intel does have some presence in the commercial market and, on the enterprise sector, and that may be one of the reasons why Hynix purchased them. Right, absolutely. And, you know, they, they have a lot of other memory products that they've got the ability to produce. And it um, should be interesting to see what comes up that comes comes with this and whether they can, you know, reclaim some of the magic in the consumer market. Yeah, so, so, their data center SSDs were amazing, at least back 2017, last time I was using them. I worked in the data center. 
They still are. Okay. Um, yeah, I and I still see, I still see them in the data center. Um, they're not necessarily the best option, but they are they are actually aggressively priced compared to some other options out there for the data center. All right. Well, speaking of memory, um, and yeah, I mean this is. You know, I guess we'll probably pick a bone here, but it sounds like AMD may be endorsing DDR4 4000 memory for the upcoming Ryzen 5000 series processors. Now, I don't think we've seen anything um, that's been definitive. So this is rumor mill type stuff, but basically saying it's like, hey, we, you guys need to go get upgrade to RAM again in order to extract the most performance out of the Ryzen 5000 series. Well, this confused me because... I thought in there in the launch video, not launch, you know what I mean, that preview, didn't they say it was 3,600 megahertz? Like you can expect the same type of uh, experience with RAM? I swear they said that. Uh, no, and and really what this comes down to, what people need to understand is, you know, you can use whatever RAM you want with them. What what this is, is, is it looks like they have adjusted um, the infinity clock on the Ryzen 5000 series so that without a divider, ran, um, you can run DDR4000 memory and get, you know, really good performance. That's the performance sweet spot. With um, Ryzen 3000 series, it was right around 3733, I think is what they said in their material. Um, but you could take it really as high as 3800, but you'd have to play with your infinity fabric clock settings a little bit to do that. Um, you'd have to try and manually set them to 1800 and some chips won't just won't do it. So what this looks like to me is that they're saying that with the changes that they've made to the Ryzen 5000 series, that 4000 will be the new sweet spot. Now, I don't know how they're achieving that because as, as I understand it, they're still using X570 motherboards. So I don't know if they support some crazy divider or they unlock the divider or, or how that that's going. Um, or if they can simply just handle clocking that divider higher because the motherboards will let you do it. You can crank them up to 900 or 1900 plus. So it just may be that, you know, these CPUs can handle it. Um, but the funny part they put is like a little good luck at the bottom. <laughs> and, and to me, that's because, you know, they know that clocking memory on Ryzen is, is historically been kind of a pain. Um, and, and there is some luck of the draw to it. Um, you know, as you know, we test a lot of X570 boards here uh, since the launch of the 5000. And, you know, some of those boards, they can clock memory pretty well. And then some don't. Um, one of the first boards we looked at, the uh, MSI X570 or Meg X570 Godlike, another kind of long name. Uh, it is uh, probably the best one we've ever seen for that. Um, the Asus uh, Crosshair, whatever number that is, formula didn't do quite as well on that. And then, you know, we've had boards like the X570 Tough and X570 Pro and all that. They didn't, they didn't do it quite as well. So it is luck of the draw. It does, it does depend on your memory modules. But what I take this announcement to be is that DDR4000 may be the new sweet spot. And DDR4000 memory, as we've seen, DDR4 prices come down in the last, you know, couple of years. You know, it's it's not going to be a um, it's not going to be a huge cost to go to 4,000 if you're shopping for RAM. 
Like, I don't think they're saying, you know, hey, drop your 37, 33 that you bought for the last one and then go get 4,000 because it's going to just be that much better. It's more like if you're looking to do RAM upgrade anyway or you're you're doing a Ryzen build, you might want to look at DDR4000 memory because it's not that much more than your 3600 or your 3800 megahertz and the processors, you know, may be able to take advantage of it uh, on a performance level. It may be kind of a sweet spot for them as well. Um We'll have to see when the actual review kits and everything come out, like kind of what they actually say. But that's what I—that's what I'm getting out of this announcement or rumor or whatever it is. Yeah, I read it the same way. Kind of now that you. Yeah, I mean, we're doing some recent RAM shopping, and there is a distinct, you know, step up. Like if you're trying to keep the latency at a fairly low level, you know, so if you're looking at say CL16 modules, you know, the difference between the 3200 and 3600 memory today can easily be. Uh, so if you're buying a 16 gig kit, so two 8 gig sticks, you know, I think you're going to get the 3200 CL16 memory. Uh, I have to look up what, what I just paid. You know, it was probably 60, 70 bucks. Um, but then if you're going to buy that same latency in 3600, you could spend 50 bucks more than that um, to hit CL16 3600. The 4000 went even beyond that. Yeah, well, and and but I've seen like 4000 megahertz modules on sale for, you know, really low price, like a 16 gig kit for a little over 100 bucks. I mean, you don't get the RGB and all that stuff, and it's not necessarily the lowest latency stuff, but we have seen 4,000 megahertz memory fall quite a bit in price. So, you know, I don't know. You'll probably still pay, you know, a decent chunk for, you know, pretty low latency stuff, but, you know, it's not as bad as it was a year ago or two years ago. Right. I mean, I had to look it up. It was 57.99 that I paid, um, you know, just a week ago for 16 gigs of CL16 3200. Uh, I think my next step up was, you know, probably about 50 bucks more for 3600 CL16. Yeah. And at that point, it's like, well, do I buy? So it's, it's the other dilemma is we have some of these games like Flight, you know, Flight Simulator. I keep wanting to call it FSX, but it's like new Flight Simulator <laughs> wants 32 gigs of RAM. So would I rather, you know, buy 32 gigs of PC 3200 um, and run at the lower latency, or do I want to get 16 gigs of the stupid fast stuff? So there will be some interesting value decisions that need to be made um, depending on how the performance shakes out of this. And, you know, and I've done some testing on it with at least the 3000 series, and I, and I haven't personally found uh, on the Intels or the AMDs that, you know, latency matters. I mean, latency matters, but I haven't seen, like, huge translations in gaming performance with latency. So for something like Flight Sim, I'd say probably 3200 or 32 gig versus low latency 16 would certainly be the way to go. But I don't know. That's something that we, we might want to revisit you know, testing wise and definitely something that needs to be looked at when the 5,000s come along. Right. Well, that'll be interesting to see. And I think it's uh, November 5th is the on sale date for that. So I'm hoping that reviews will hit the market at about the same time. And, um, We'll find out at that point or a little bit beyond as people have some time to play with the processors um, to see what they are actually capable of. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, kind of wrapping up today, our last article that we have is, um, of course, the weekly rumor about um, what the 5600X is going to be able to do um, to the uh, much more expensive processors in a single thread basis. So I think this article is saying that um, based on yet another rumor that the 
5600 X it can slap the 10900 K and 3600 XT around with a rainbow trout in single thread uh, performance. That's just yeah. a game changer for that that price point. 299 beating a 10900K. That's going to be crazy to see. A, well, how many people jump on that bandwagon, if that's true? And well, B, we're talking strictly about single-thread performance. I don't think that necessarily a 5600 is going to beat like a 10900K, which has a core advantage. Um, I think we're going to take a look at this magical chart right here, though. Oh, yes. I mean, that's that's 10% trout slapping right there. I think for gaming, you'll see it. Because six core, 12 thread is still, in my personal opinion, the sweet spot. I mean, eight core, uh, 16 thread is the better buy, in my opinion, now, if you're buying now. But I don't think you need much more than six core, 12 thread. No, you don't. And and I've done plenty of testing on that with the 12 and 16 core processors. And, and no, I would agree with you. Generally, uh, there's a couple of anomalies out there where it's you know different. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't doubt it, though. Uh, in terms of like core for core, single thread performance, I have no doubt that the Ryzen 5000 series is faster. None at all. AMD has been very straightforward about its processor business. Um, when it like when they said Ryzen was going to come out, they said, hey, it's this much faster than our bulldozer chips, and it should put it right around here. You know, they said right around Haswell, you know, regular Haswell levels, and it was a little bit better than that. So they've kind of under historically with the processors since Ryzen, um, they've kind of had a uh, behavioral pattern of kind of um, under promising and over delivering, or at least, you know, being pretty spot on with what they promised. And they did say that, what is it, up to 19% versus the 3000 series um, single thread IPC? If that's true, and, and I do have to, you know, admit that that's probably a cherry picked case, and they did say up to 19%. So let's not assume it's across the board, but. You know, assuming that's kind of correct and that, you know, you even get half that on a regular basis, I don't doubt it because as it stands now, the 3000 series and a lot of tests we did when those chips came out, they had as good or better IPC than Intel did because even the, the, these latest chips, the, uh, I can't remember their stupid code name, the 10th gens, the 10900K, they don't really have a, a, a an IPC boost over their predecessors. They they depend again on clock speed. So, you know, I don't doubt it. I think there's probably a lot of truth in this. Right. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the numbers pop up. But this is, um, you know, going to be some pretty interesting stuff and great for competition and consumers. And, um, and hopefully, like the 3000 series, there should be pretty good availability at launch um, so that we don't have to really worry about um, sitting there refreshing like I've been doing for the video cards for the past month. So, <laughs> so that should be, um, should be interesting to see how that one uh, works out. So I think um, that's kind of all we've got. Um, you know, I guess we're going to kind of wrap it up with some final points. Um, you know, look at what's coming up next week and uh, and call this one. You know, call it a day here for uh, the review cast number three. Um, you know, kind of looking at. Uh, I guess we probably should look at next week's schedule and kind of see what's on the docket. I think, but actually. 
problem is, if I look at next week's schedule um, and the things that we have planned for that, I don't think I'm allowed to tell you. So um, what you may have to do is go do some math and think about uh, what hardware is launching over the course of the next week that might have an on-sale date next week. And you can expect to see a launch day review from us on that. We also have a, a you could do the same thing for major uh, AAA games, if there are any of those coming out. Um, take a look and see if there's any of those. And we, we may have a, a nice bit up for you uh, for that as well. So that is a good bit of next week. I have to, I have to fumble around and kind of see what else we have on the schedule for next week um, you know, to keep us entertained here. I think Leroy's um, you know, Corsair 4000D, um, we hope to see that next week as well. <laughs> At least it's on the list. Yeah, I'm finally getting the uh, Maximus. 12 extreme done that'll be done tonight for sure so that's something that we'll ha- be able to put out soon and then um i have to decide what what board gets the screws put to it next right well there's the i think that you have the nzx is it nzxt yes um, the N- the n7z 490 from them and then right. I have the, uh, was it the MSI X570A Pro? Right. So those will be good to get started. Um, you know, I think uh, second Dan D has got his, uh, so you've got a Gigabyte B550 on the bench now. Yep. The Aorus B550. All right, so that'll be a good one because uh, you know, I'm hoping we're going to be able to chug through a lot of the B550 families that are out there to kind of be able to see. It's like, okay, now we've looked at you know a dozen of these B550s to be able to see which you know which ones are going to reign supreme um, you know across each other. Um, as far as that goes, um, you know, like same as last week for me, I've got a Cooler Master 360 millimeter AIO. It's on my docket to get done, and um, I think how oh, Paul's got. This is probably next week material, or not next week material, but you know that 1650 watt uh, power supply that he was teasing um, is on the docket to publish um, in early November as well. So that should be a good one. Um, but a lot of great content, um, you know. Hopefully, with um, you know Second Dan D and Eduardo on board, you know, across our usual stuff, you're going to start seeing at least three reviews a week out of us um, going forward as we uh, get the content machine running. Yeah, and I think we got actually uh, some pretty exciting couple of weeks coming up with reviews and releases. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's going to you know kind of be like the whole season coming up because I mean, when you think about it, we have. Um, and I was talking to Brent about this. It's either I think it was earlier this week. It's like you know, okay, we have thirty ninety, thirty eighty, thirty seventy. We probably have a dozen cards from each of those families that need to get reviewed as soon as we can get our hands on them. Um, if a thirty sixty series launches, that's going to add another couple dozen cards. Then, well, hey, AMD's launching a whole new family too. So we have. You know, at comparable comparable price points, we're going to have the same series of families to go through. So there'll be no shortage on that end. Lots of boards, as we still haven't caught up on all the X570, the Z490, um, and the B550 boards that are out there. Um, There's also some refreshed uh, X570s and possibly B550s coming too with the launch of Ryzen 5000. As we've seen, manufacturers will typically do that even if they don't get a whole new chipset. Like there'll be um, uh, Asus's, was it Crosshair or whatever, Dark or something? That's an example of that. Right. So, um, 
no shortage of good content that's coming up. Um, even I think I've seated Paul with one of the cheapest things he could find at Micro Center um, to see if he can blow the power supply up. So we may have some a fireworks display uh, before the end of the year. <laughs> Be careful with that. That stuff will damage that equipment of his, and that ain't cheap to fix. Yeah, I know he just got them fixed, so it's like <laughs> it was his idea, but it's like yeah, it's like okay, fine, let's get that, throw it in the backlog. We'll see what happens um, as far as fireworks. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll be really mad if it breaks his breaks his stuff, but but anyhow, I think that should wrap it up. Um, you know, for the third edition of the FBS review cast. Um, hope you guys enjoyed um, participating and watching and all that kind of fun stuff. And we'll do it again next week. And um, it'll be fun to kind of talk about the stuff I couldn't just talk about. Yep. And everybody be sure and stay tuned and come back next week. All right. Thank you everybody. And I'm just going to cut it right here. <laughs> <laughs>